Mark 4, 26 through 34. And he said, the kingdom of God is if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown in the ground is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when it sows, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were, not, as they were able to hear it. But he did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Um, my name is Ryan. If I haven't met you, uh, I'm one of the pastors here. It's, it's good to be back. Uh, I took a few weeks off from preaching um, just to get some rest, and, and I can say, like Brian said last week, uh, man, it is, it is a huge relief to know and trust that God is at work when we are not. Uh, and so I'm, I'm grateful for that time of Brian uh, taking over the pulpit so that I could rest. Um, but I wanted just to start with a picture of how Redeemer started. When uh, God called Kendall and I to plant Redeemer to move back to San Angelo, it began with a a vision for revival in our city. And when I'm talking about revival, what I'm meaning is that Christians uh, who are already following and and worshiping Jesus would be strengthened and grow in maturity in their faith. And that those who are not yet Christians would come to know the love of Jesus, to know that he is worthy of the worship of our whole lives. This is revival. And so since January of 2020, Redeemer has been praying for revival in our city to see this vision of our our city being transformed with the gospel come to life. And so as you think about revival in San Angelo, within this framework, this hope that we have for our city to be transformed, what is it that you think of? What in your imagination is revival in San Angelo? What do you hope for the church of San Angelo? What do you hope for the lost who are suffering in darkness alone in San Angelo? If anybody wants to share, um, I have a note that says give time for responses. <laughs> what, what, when you consider, what does it look like for the church to grow in maturity and for lost people to come to know Jesus. What kind of transformation would take place in our city? What do we have to hope for in that? Does anybody want to share maybe what comes to mind when we talk about revival? Humility, yes. Humility, knowing that we we are not God. God is God and we are not, right? Stuart. Yes, yes using our whole lives to evangelize our city. 
Mm. Confession, repentance, yes. What, what other transformation would we see in our city? Could you imagine our entire city, the whole church of San Angelo, repenting in humility in the way that that would be missional to San Angelo, the way that that would preach the gospel to San Angelo, for Christians to say, I'm sorry that we've hurt you. What would that do to our city? What kind of hope do we have? Right? We've kind of talked about tilling the soil and what that would be for the church to grow in maturity. You guys are, are really on it. For the Christian church to grow in maturity means that we don't grow higher. We don't become more glorious in ourselves, but we submit ourselves. We humble ourselves. And we realize that the kingdom works and moves through ourselves into the city through our submission and repentance and confession. So what kind of hope do we have for our city? What about the lost people of San Angelo? What do we hope for them? That they would be found. That's right. Anybody else? Sometimes you guys like this. What kind of pain would be healed? Yes. Families restored, yes. What else? Yes. Places where, where Satan has, has gripped the soul of our city that would be loosened and broken. Freedom in Jesus' name. What else? Freedom from bitterness. Yes. I think St. Angel's familiar with spiritual abuse, right? Like we have a, we have a history of, of the wounded sheep experiencing healing for people that have turned from the church, that have turned from Jesus to be brought back into the flock. One more, anybody? Hope. That's a big one. Because a lot of people live without it, right? Hope that there's something more than what we're living through. So as we create this vision for transformation in San Angelo, revival in San Angelo, how does that happen? How, how... How does the church grow and mature in humility and repentance and confession and mission and evangelism in loving our city well? How, how does the Spirit take the gospel to the lost people of San Angelo and transform their lives? I'll tell you, it's not through our work. But we're all asking the question probably, like, this is great, but what do we do? How do we get there? How do we see this happening? We, ha we have this longing for this to actually happen. How do we do that? How do we achieve this? How do we get there? Um, well, just to recap the book of Mark, because it's going to be beneficial uh, to this passage. What we see in Mark 1.15, Mark kicks off with this proclamation, Jesus' inaugural words to his ministry, Right? The kingdom of heaven is here. Repent and believe in this good news. 
to put it kind of in our more colloquial terms, God's saving plan is coming alive. It's here. It's working and it's moving. So turn away from being in control of your own life. Put that down and trust in me. Follow me and watch me do it. That's what Jesus is saying. And in Mark 2, uh, Jesus calls us to join him by unlearning our pharisaical religious ways or even our sinful ways of being in control of our own lives. We have a lot to unlearn so that we can replace what we've unlearned by learning from him when he says, follow me, when he says, come to me. And then in Mark 3 and 4, Jesus, we, we see that Jesus is making his kingdom most visible, most accessible to the people who will humbly and faithfully receive him and accept him. That no, I don't have anything to give back to this guy, but he's calling me to follow him, so I will. The kingdom is most easily accessible and most visible to those people. So with Jesus as king, the kingdom of heaven will flourish. Mark, 20, Mark 4, 26 through 34 is a promise that with Jesus as king, the kingdom of heaven will flourish. With Jesus as king, we will experience revival in San Angelo. People will have hope. The lost will come to know him. The church will be strengthened and equipped for mission in our city. The Holy Spirit will spark revival in us to humble us, to set us free from bitterness, and then send us out into our communities to be used. The kingdom of heaven will flourish. Um, the kingdom will also, it'll outgrow It'll outlast, it'll outlive, it'll outperform. All of everything we just said here, the kingdom will outperform that, okay? Whatever human ideas we can, um, whatever concepts we can come up with in our minds, Jesus is far more abundantly beyond even that. Our, our biggest hopes and our biggest dreams will be blown away by the kingdom. And Jesus communicates this to us in Mark 4 using two gardening parables. Perfect timing because I'm in year two of a new hobby. I've been gardening for a little while. I know we have some other gardeners in here. Um, I'll, I'll let you uh, think about this first parable. Even if you're not a gardener or a farmer, you could probably be a little bit confused by what's happening here, right? Jesus says, the sower sows some seed. And then he goes to bed, he wakes up, he goes to bed, he wakes up. The grain sprouts, and then there's leaves, there's a stalk, eventually there's a, a whole ear, and after some time, eventually, it's ready to harvest. What did the, what did the sower do? Nothing. What did um, the ground do? Nothing. What did the farmers do? Nothing. What did the rain clouds do? Nothing. Jesus tells this parable so normally like, this guy sows some seed and then some stuff grows up. Julie, is that how gardening works for you? I've not gotten to that point. Anybody else? 
Valerie, is that how your garden works? I know you guys are putting a lot of work in right now. Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sin against God, they disobey his command to let him be God. They disobeyed that command. And part of the repercussions of that is that the ground was cursed. That now farming and gardening would be work and toil and trouble. And so how do we hold the reality of Genesis 3 in one hand, and at the same time hold this parable of Jesus saying, actually, this is how it works. Well, Jesus using a parable saying the kingdom is like, is Jesus saying, listen, that's the kind of God I am. I make something out of nothing. And guess what you have to do? Sit back and watch. You don't need to work for this. You pray for rain, and it'll grow. This parable mimics creation that, that in Genesis 1, when God made the plants, it just says he caused them to sprout up from the ground. And Jesus saying the kingdom is like that is him connecting those two things and saying, guys, guess what? I'm God, and this is the kind of God that I am. It grows because God is in complete control. It grows because this is the God that Jesus is. We don't have to be in control. When we let Jesus be king, the kingdom of heaven will flourish. Now, I get excited to preach this um, because this is how we hope to do things here. This is how Brian and I lead. Um, We submit all things to Jesus. and, And when we don't, eventually he gets us there maybe sometimes by one another. But this is how we hope to lead this church. This is our prayer for this church and the church in San Angelo, that we would all just lead in humble submission to Jesus, letting him be in control. But I have to tell you, that's a lot easier said than done. Because every single week when I'm sitting in my office, I feel this longing, this pull to get to work. When I walk into my office, I already know what I want to type on my computer to write my sermon. And I just hear those keys clicking on my keyboard and just know that I'm going to write something good. But what's better for my soul and what's better for you is that I pray. There will be time to write. But what's better is that I first submit my mind and my will and my desires in my study to Jesus, trusting him to be at work when I'm not. But that, that's hard. I believe Jesus to be in control. I believe that it's better to pray than to do his work for him. But it's harder to actually live that out. And I know I'm not alone. I know this is a human problem. It's easier for us to do God's work for him than it is to pray that he would do his work through us. And so letting Jesus be king of the kingdom means that we come to him. It means that we remain in him. It means that we take ourselves out of his place. We take ourselves out of being in control of our lives, of the lives of our, the people near us, of the life of this church. We take ourselves out of being in control 
And instead, we trust him to be in control and we follow his lead. Letting Jesus be king in my busyness, in my, in my addiction to working, means that I submit to him and rest. That I can confess, God, you are at work when I am not. It means that I live within my God-given limits and boundaries. I say no when I'd rather say yes. I put my work down to pray and worship, even when it feels like work needs to be done, even when it feels like work is the better option right now. Letting Jesus be king of the kingdom in the midst of addiction means that we confess to him that we cannot fix ourselves. Not only that, but that we are not problems to be fixed, but that we're people to be loved, to be given grace and mercy from our good shepherd and king. And that Jesus is the only one with the power and the right kind of goodness to be in control of our lives. Letting Jesus be king of the kingdom in the midst of pain and grief means that we give ourselves permission to be weak, trusting that he is strong. That we're free to be honest about our weakness, that we're free to need Jesus to use our brothers and sisters to come along and carry us. That we don't have to carry ourselves. I don't have to see through the tears. We don't have to white knuckle our way through the pain and sadness of life. But we get to trust Jesus to be strong, to carry us. Letting Jesus be king is submitting to Jesus in his most gracious his most life-giving command in John 15. He says, and this is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not best practices. This is a command from the king. Abide in me. Remain in me. Abide in me and I in you. Whoever abides in me and I will abide in him. He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We think about revival in San Angelo. We think about the kingdom of heaven flourishing in our city. That's fruit, right? How how does any plant grow? It bears fruit and it multiplies. How do we see fruit born in our lives and in the life of our city? Jesus says very clearly, you can't do it without me not even with me at your side, but you can't do it without you being in me and I being in you. Complete control given to Jesus. Where we rest in him and his spirit in us is at work. He also says uh, in John 6, 63, a little more harshly, he says, It's the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The spirit gives life. The flesh does nothing for you. Your strength, your will, your desire is no help at all. We pray, we trust him. 
We follow his lead. Not only that, but, but we follow people who follow his lead. Paul says often, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Hebrews 13, 7 says, follow your leaders, look at the outcome of their lives and imitate them because they're giving their lives to the authority of Christ. If you want to know how to abide, follow the people in front of you that abide. With Jesus as king, the kingdom of heaven will flourish. Now, the world will say, yeah, but you didn't water that seed. You didn't till that ground. You need some fertilizer. I know where you can find some good chicken litter, put some fertilizer on that soil. The kingdom will flourish, even and especially when it doesn't seem like it. Even and especially when we feel like it's not going to because I'm not doing enough for it. In our lives, our homes, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our schools, revival in San Angelo, the kingdom of heaven will flourish here when Jesus is king and we abide in him. And this parable feels upside down. It feels backwards um, that, that these plants would grow without any work, but just wait until you hear about the mustard seed. Uh, this kingdom, he says, also is like the mustard seed, this tiny seed that when planted proliferates like wildfire and grows abundantly to be this massive tree strong enough to hold the heaviest birds of the air. So there's a little upside downness to this parable as well because um, in my short two years of gardening, I've never planted mustard, but I did some research because I'm a good millennial and I found that there are no mustard trees. And I like to pretend like I know trees, but I also know that I'm from West Texas, where we don't really have trees. But my family is from upstate New York. I've seen trees. There are no mustard trees. Look around. You you can see them, especially out by the Arroyo, those tiny little yellow things, and they're kind of all clustered on one stalk. That's a wild mustard plant. They grow about this tall. The, The most prolific and the biggest mustard tree is really a bush. It looks a little bit like the salt cedar that you can see driving around. It'll grow about this tall, but it only lasts 80 to 90 days. It cannot grow to become a tree. It cannot get its branches strong enough to hold any birds of the air. So what is Jesus saying? How do we hold what we understand about nature and the words of Jesus saying that this mustard seed will grow into a gigantic tree? Well, remember, Jesus' teaching sometimes seems upside down. It seems unnatural or maybe supernatural in that the kingdom is like mustard in some ways, but it's better than mustard because it's as prolific, but it will be permanent. It won't die in 90 days. It will last forever, and it will keep growing. And if you let it keep growing, it will be strong enough to bear the heaviest burdens to stay connected to the vine and bear the best fruit. It reminded me of Ephesians 3, 20 through 21. 
Now to him, that's Jesus, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. That's his spirit abiding in us. To him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Throughout generations forever and ever, amen. The kingdom will grow bigger than you can expect it to grow. And it will be stronger than you can expect it to be. And it will never end. That is hope that Julie was talking about. That we are the kingdom that will never end that will last from generation to generation to generation. So we can trust the words of Jesus that says, though his body dies, his soul will live forever with God. With Jesus as king, the kingdom of heaven will flourish. It's not a suggestion, it's not a hope, it's a promise that the kingdom will flourish. So think about that. In what ways do I need the hope that the kingdom will flourish? I need it in my busyness. I need it in my my struggle to, to realize that prayer is actually better than work because the spirit is at work. And being with Jesus is better. How do we convince ourselves that prayer and abiding is actually better than this other thing we're drawn to? You got to pray. You got to pray. You have to, you have to abide. And it's not just once. It's a lifestyle. It's not, well, yeah, I tried that Saturday. Good. Keep trying. Man, it takes a lifetime. Uh, I think it was, um, I think it was Teresa of Avila, um, It's an old um, church mother who said, uh, the thing about prayer is that we are all beginners. And she was a nun. Her job literally was to pray. When we come to prayer, when it comes to prayer, we're all beginners. And so we, we keep engaging in this lifestyle of abiding. With Jesus as king, the kingdom of heaven will flourish. Um, nothing will get in his way. Nothing can get in his way. The thing about Jesus being the king and the kingdom flourishing with him as king is that um, there's nothing that we can do to help him. There's nothing he needs from us. But there's also nothing we can do to stop him. So the pressure's off. The pressure that you feel to to be in control of your own life, to try to grasp some control of the life of others, to fix people, to fix the problems, the pressure's off. The pressure that you feel to be Christian enough, to do enough of the right things, to think rightly, to say rightly, to do rightly, the pressure's off. Because guess what? You're not going to abide but there's still more grace. There's still enough Jesus left. The kingdom of heaven is big enough and strong enough to stand when you don't. The pressure 
that we feel is off because we get to remain in Jesus. We get to follow him. We get to follow his guiding, his teaching. We just get to watch his kingdom explode in our lives, in our homes, in our workplace, in our school, in our city. The reality is, Jesus is king, so we're off the hook, okay? Now, here's the other special thing about mustard. This is, this is why I believe Jesus, one of the reasons that he used this parable. So I imagine they were probably walking, and mustard grows along the side of the path. This makes sense because one of his previous parables was probably watching a guy throw some seed along the path, right? Brian preached on that a couple weeks ago. And Jesus was like, hey, look at that soil. What do you think that, the seed in that soil is going to do? What do you think the seed in that soil is going to do? Well, one of those plants that grows prolifically and wildly along the path is mustard. There's a Persian variety of mustard that's in the spring and through um, early summer there. It explodes, and it's fragrant, and it's robust, and it's pungent. Think about opening a bottle of mustard and leaving it open in your fridge. What's that going to do to the rest of your food? <laughs> you take the baking soda out or the baking powder, whatever it is. It's going to stain everything with mustard. That's what these paths were like. You could see the yellow flowers. You couldn't see anything else. You could smell the flowers and the mustard in the air. The kingdom's like this. It may start small and inconspicuous like this tiny little seed, but man, once it gets going, it's unignorable. The other thing is that because mustard only has a 90-ish day lifespan, it dies quickly, and this is on purpose. The plant has to die in order for the seeds to proliferate. Now, if you look at a mustard plant and there's tons of tiny little flowers, each of those flowers, if it's pollinated, will become a seed. And so you end up having hundreds of seeds on one plant. It multiplies quickly. The kingdom is like a mustard seed. It may start with one man and one mission. But when it gets planted, it will grow and it will bear abundant fruit and it will multiply. And the third thing about it, is the only way for mustard to multiply is through death. The plant has to die. All the moisture in the plant has to be drawn out of it. All the foliage has to die back for the wind to take these seeds off and proliferate them down the path. It also must lose all of its moisture and its structural integrity so that the plant will collapse in the wind and that the rest of those seeds can be dispersed among the ground. The thing about the kingdom is that the kingdom of heaven is familiar with death. We're not going to get out without being familiar with the consequences of sin, the pain, the suffering, and even death. We have to be familiar with it because there's no other way to exist in this life. We can't ignore it. So what do we do? How do we live these mustard seed kingdom lives so familiar with death. Well, um, we see uh, this m most abundantly, most clearly in the death and resurrection of Jesus. 
Um, you see, if Jesus had not died and been raised to life, then the kingdom this, that he's talking about would have shriveled in the ground in a tomb in Israel, and nothing would have ever come of it. If he had not resurrected, it would have ended there. The death of Jesus made possible the forgiveness of our sin, the forgiveness of what caused Genesis 3 to curse the ground. Without the death of Jesus, the kingdom cannot accept new citizens. The kingdom cannot bear new fruit. It cannot grow without the death of Jesus forgiving the sin of God's people and all people. The kingdom of heaven would not have this future hope to last for all time through generation after generation unless Jesus was raised from the dead. You see, the hope that Julie was talking about earlier that we pray for for the loss of our city is this hope that we actually get to live forever with God. We live in this alternate reality, and it is a reality that says life now is as bad as it gets. It's only uphill from here because on the other side of death is life forever with God. And if Jesus had not died, and if Jesus had not resurrected, that hope would not exist for anyone. The parable of the mustard seed find its fulfillment in Jesus himself. Not that we can be this incredible kingdom, but that he has made it to become true through his death and his resurrection and his return. When you make Jesus king, your soul will flourish. Here in a second, we're going to take communion together. We've got tables up here at the front on both sides. We've got a table in the back. We also have gluten. They're always gluten-free. We also have the cups, if you prefer the cups, Brian. I know you do. Um, But those of us who receive and believe this gospel, that the death and resurrection and return of Jesus makes our lives all of humanity forgiven. It gives us hope in our lives that we have a future in heaven with him. If you believe and receive this gospel, this good news, then please join us at the table. But if you've not yet received this good news, if you do not believe this, um, then the scripture actually says that you are a liar if you take uh, communion with us. And we don't want you to, we don't wanna make you a liar. And so what we would rather you do is sit in your seat And would you ponder these things in your heart? Would you wonder, and what is it that I am giving my hope to? Because whatever it is, it's not Jesus. It's not gonna last forever. We must um, make Jesus king in order for our souls to flourish. The death of Jesus being, being the initiating event of this kingdom, this abundant kingdom growth, um, means that, that now we follow him. This kingdom, when he says, come to me, follow me, we actually do follow him. We follow him in death. This does not mean we go seeking out um, terrible circumstances. We go seeking out pain and sadness. They'll find you. Don't worry, live long enough. They'll find you. 
But when they come, you turn to Jesus. And even, even in the midst of those, and even when you're, when, you're, um, when you're in the valleys, like we talk about, when we're in those hard times, or you're on the mountaintops and things are good, either way, we are still called to follow Jesus in death. And the first step of abiding is repentance. Death for the Christian begins with repentance. When we say no to sin, when we say, no, I don't have this figured out. I am not God. I am not in control. So I'm gonna put myself in my place. I'm gonna put Jesus on the throne as king of his kingdom. I'm gonna confess how I've sought my own kingdom on my own terms, and I'm gonna repent. I'm gonna ask for forgiveness. This is what communion is all about. Um, we must first see that we do, in fact, attempt to take God's place. We do, in fact, attempt to do God's work for him. We do, in fact, use our own strength and our own power to bring forth the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And so we must repent. We forget that we are the kingdom. Jesus is the king. Um, Last week, Brian preached this same message of repentance. You might see a theme in Mark. Um, The thing about repent and believe is is that you can't hide from it in Mark. You will always find how Mark is teaching us to follow Jesus through death and resurrection, through repenting and believing. And last week when he was preaching on this, I actually caught myself thinking these thoughts. Well, yeah, I sure hope they're listening to this. I sure hope so-and-so's like really paying attention. And then I thought, people are probably thinking the same thing about me. (laughs) You're gonna be tempted. You probably already have been tempted. You probably already have thought these thoughts to think that repentance is for someone else. Man, I just wish my spouse would listen to the preacher right now. I just wish this person would listen. I just wish, right? The thing about um, kingdom growth through death is that it's for all of us. Repentance is for all of us. I'm not in control of someone else's repentance. I'm only in control of whether or not I do. So the invitation to repent is incomplete without belief. This is why Jesus says, repent and believe. So without faith, repentance is null. What good does it do to turn from your sin and not turn to Christ? Then you'll just turn back to your sin. As you abide in Jesus through repentance, abide in him in faith. Trust that he is the king Trust that he will work mightily. Trust that these parables are a promise that the kingdom will flourish. Trust that he calls you along to play a special part in a very important way, that you get to abide in him, you get to remain in him, and he will use you. And then you'll turn around and you'll see that in your life there's this trail of kingdom flourishing and you don't know how it got there because all you did was go to sleep and rise and live your life. You didn't water, you didn't plant, you didn't till, you didn't fertilize. The kingdom grew. 
We just get to get out of his way to stop striving. And Jesus actually says, abide, you will bear fruit. There's nothing for you to do to help him. There's nothing you can do to stop him. That should like just give a deep sigh of relief. And when I say repent and believe, probably thinking in your hearts, I believe, help my unbelief. We'll get there in a few months when we get to Mark 9. I believe, help my unbelief, but Ephesians 3.20, he can do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Because the kingdom was made possible through the death of our Savior, the kingdom will multiply through the death of our sin and repentance. With Jesus as king, the kingdom of heaven will flourish. Please join me at the table.